0: Christian greetings to all of you this morning. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord and worship together. I look forward to these times, and I trust you do too. I trust that you have come prepared uh, to hear the Word of God, and not just hear it, but to go away as a doer of the Word as well. This morning we would like to look at another passage of warning, passage of admonition, from the book of Hebrews and you can turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Let's think just a moment about warnings. Why warnings? What is the purpose of warnings in life? Well, first of all we can think about the the importance of protection, how that warnings bring uh, protection to our lives for example if you're uh, driving down the blue ridge parkway and you <laughs> see a sign that says you know s curve ahead or or some kind of a warning sign like that well immediately then you want to do your best to stay safe okay there's something dangerous coming ahead i need to be careful and so That's just one little example, but there's many that we could look at that are along that line. Warnings in life bring protection to our lives. But for the Christian, speaking in a spiritual sense, what are warnings all about? Well, once again, there is spiritual protection that is granted us by taking heed to the warnings in the Scripture. Uh, Warnings in the scripture help to sharpen our focus. Uh, They help to renew our resolve. We read a warning or an admonition in scripture and we say, yes, yes, thank you, Lord. I I need to do better at that. Oh, I see that. Okay, that's a danger area in my life. That's a danger area in my life that I need to be careful about. Thank you. It makes us uh, wake up and pay attention. There's times in life when uh, we can become a little lax, a little negligent. And so passages of warning sharpen us. They wake us up. They, They also help us to move ahead in life with more diligence, with more vigilance. In Romans 15, verse 4, we read this. For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. That we, through endurance, that we, through the encouragement of the Scriptures, might have hope. And so I ask you this morning, what do you do with the warnings? What do you do with the warnings that come uh, into your life? Warnings from Scripture. As I was pondering this some time ago, I found this uh, news headlines fascinating. And this was when uh, Hurricane Dorian was moving in. And this is what the headline said, thousands of Floridians unfazed by Hurricane Dorian storm path. Interesting, I thought, thinking about warnings here. And it went on to say, Hurricane Dorian, the Category 3 storm, has stalled over the Bahamas for more than 24 hours, unleashing pummeling rainfall and devastating flooding as millions along the U.S. East Coast continue to monitor the storm's next move. But for thousands of Floridians, Hurricane Dorian is routine. And then it, it went on to talk about that. But this was the attitude of, of many, but it was expressed through one person in this article. And this was what the quote was. Every year there's a storm, and every year it's the same. Now, we, we say, well, true. Uh, the hurricane that came ashore was not to the extent that they were predicting perhaps. So everything is fine, right? Well that's not the point of what I'm saying. The point is that there was something very serious on the horizon. There was something very dangerous out there. And a warning was given, but in general the response was, this is just another day. No big deal. I'm not going to lose any sleep over it." I bring that to our remembrance because that is the attitude that many have when it comes to warnings in the Word of God. When it comes to thinking about the second coming of Christ. Oh well, it hasn't happened for years and years. And you know, it probably won't happen, and you know, it's just another day. Ho ho, that kind of attitude. And so I ask you when you look at the scripture, what do you do with warnings? Well, let's look at this one here in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. In other words, he's saying, we will go on, okay, if God permit. Verse 4, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away, to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put Him to an open shame. For the earth, which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected, and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. But, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you, and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have shown toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints. And do minister, and we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Okay, a heavy passage here we're looking at this morning. I've entitled this message An Impossible Situation. An impossible situation. Now, if there is one thing that has made this passage difficult, uh, that has made this passage a stumbling block, that has made this passage even unbelievable to many people over the years, it is the word impossible. Impossible. It's a very strong word. It's a word that uh, we try to teach our children: don't say words like that. You know, don't say words like never, always, impossible. Don't use words like that because you know, after all, uh, with God, all things are possible, <laughs> and and we we don't like words like that. And so we read this passage, and here we read that it is impossible, it is impossible to renew these people to repentance. And we're like, we must just not understand it. And yet the Hebrew writer clearly spells out a situation here that is impossible. And of all things, it has to do with Salvation. And it's for this very reason that many have bent and twisted this passage uh, to fit into their own preconceived ideas. Because they look at this and they say, well, but it, it's not possible that, that true Christians can fall away. Huh. Hmm. So maybe it must mean something else. And so they bend and twist it to fit into what they think it must mean. But I have a few questions for us here as as we get into this message. Do you think this passage was meant to be confusing? Do you think that the Hebrew writer was trying to trip up the readers by using a strong word like impossible? Is it possible to understand the original intent here? Is it? As I, as I pondered this passage and as I prayed a lot about this passage, my prayer was a lot of things, but one of my prayers was this. And specifically one morning, I was sitting at my desk early in the morning, and, and I was just I was I was praying and, and my prayer was. God, what if I believed exactly? Or what if I believe that what it says is exactly what it means? Or, you know, what if I believe what if I what if I preach this passage? Exactly like it says. And you might think, well, that's an odd thing to say. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't you want to do that? Well, yeah, yeah, I would. And so, Lord, help me to preach this passage exactly like it says, what it's intended to say. And it's interesting because I opened my eyes and, and my Bible was laying right there, and verse three just pew, illuminated and this will we do, if God permit. (laughs) I know that's a slightly different context, but it was interesting to me that it was almost like there was an illumination there. That this is what we're going to do if God helps me. The goal of this message this morning is, is twofold. And the first is to develop a proper understanding of what this passage is saying. Secondly, It's to expose the erroneous view, the erroneous belief of eternal security. And that is the belief that once saved, always saved. The belief that you cannot lose your salvation. And and as I have studied through the book of Hebrews and more intensely here in the last few months... I have found that many, many writings and many commentaries are laced with that belief. And this passage gets watered down. This book of Hebrews, and this passage in particular, gets watered down time and time again because of the preconceived ideas and belief of eternal security. And so I want to do two things. First of all, I want to help us to understand this passage And secondly, we would like to expose somewhat uh, the erroneous belief of eternal security. But let's look here. Let's dig into the passage of Hebrews chapter 6, 1 through 12, and let's see what we can learn. First of all, as we move into this passage, there is a thrust that we see, and that is the thrust of growing in spiritual maturity. Not being okay with the basics, not being okay with with where you've been in life, but there is a, a thrust of of moving on, growing, digging deeper. And so the writer depicts two groups of people here. In verses one through three, we have a group of people who go on. It's a group that goes on. And then in verses four through six, we have a group of people that go back. And so there in verses one through three, we have the encouragement, the encouragement. And that is, let us go on unto perfection. Let us let us let us put behind us the elementary teachings of the word of God the basics the beginning things let us move on to the deeper things in fact in the passage right prior to this the end of chapter 5 the writer says that you know there's many more things I would like to tell you but you're so dull you're so dull of hearing I would like to explain things more but you're just like little babies While you should be, you've been a Christian long enough, you've been a believer long enough, you should be teaching other people, but instead, you still need to be taught. Come on, grow up, get with it. In a sense, that's sort of what he's saying. And then he goes on to say in verse 14, that those those who have have taken in and digested the, the difficult truths of the word those are the ones that then have the wisdom and the discernment to truly know what is right and what is wrong what is truth what is deception but he makes it clear that those things come to light those things become clear when there is an effort And there is a there's much intentional effort put into digging deeper, moving on, growing up in your Christian faith. And so we go into verses one through three. Let us go on unto perfection. That's the encouragement for all of us this morning. We move then into verses four through six, and here we have the warning or the admonition. And I want you to note the four descriptions of this group. The four descriptions of this group who have not went on, but instead have went back. Verse 4, it says they were once enlightened. Okay, They, They were illuminated. It's the idea of coming to the light. Coming to the truth. They were enlightened. Ah, they saw. But it goes on to say that they have tasted of the heavenly gift. That's an experiential knowledge. They've experienced. They saw. They came to the light. They experienced. Moving on, it says they were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. Speaking of of sharing in that, they shared in the power of the Holy Ghost. Verse 5 says, they've tasted the good word of God. I like how it says that. They tasted the good word of God. In other words, they had an understanding that this is a good word. This isn't just any any old book. The word of God isn't just any old teaching. But but they tasted, they experienced that this is good. This is good. And as I look at that, it contrasts to what else is out there, okay? Okay? This is good. And then it says they've also tasted of the powers of the world to come. Now, I want you to note that these... See, I want us to, I want us to, to, to develop a proper understanding of this passage in various ways. But one of the ways is by simply looking at the wording itself. Um, maybe in if you take Greek class, they might would refer to it as we're going to look at the hermeneutics of this. Okay, and I don't know a lot of Greek, but I've studied a little bit, and I've studied it more as I've looked at this passage here. But by looking at the wording itself, it gives us it sheds light on what is being said here. What is the original intent? And so I want you to note that that these descriptions that we find these descriptions of this group who have went back Are in the past tense, okay? Or in the Greek, it would be called the aorist, the aorist tense. In other words, it's action that has happened in the past. And so it says that they were once enlightened. They did taste. They have tasted. They were made partakers. They have tasted. They have tasted. Action that has happened in the past. And so if you imagine, you can imagine a timeline here. So this is where they were. They have experienced this. And now, on down the timeline is where we are currently with this group. So we see what has happened in the past. We see their life in the past. Those who have experienced this. But as we move on, we see in verse 6 that something has changed. Something has changed. Now, I want us to note two other things in verse 6 that have to do with the wording itself. Verse 6 begins by saying, If they shall fall away. Now, in studying the Greek, it is my understanding that the word if... Was not a part of the original Greek. That's not there. That was was added in there later. The original Greek reads it this way. And having fallen away. Okay? It fits into the same past tense. It fits into the same Greek aorist form. They've done this. They've experienced this. They've experienced this. And they have fallen away. Having fallen away we go on to read that it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance. But it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. It says, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and have put Him to an open shame. And here, it changes, the wording changes from a past situation, a past tense, to what is happening currently. And that word seeing could more accurately be rendered while. Think about it that way. Having fallen away to renew them again unto repentance while they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. And so the wording there of crucify and put Him, those actions are in the current. They speak of an ongoing way of life. OK, so they had experienced they had they had experienced the power of God. They had tasted of the good word. But now, having fallen away. It says it is impossible to renew them again unto repentance unto repentance while they are living this way. While this is their current way of life. It speaks of a willful, of a deliberate attitude of life. Why? It says, why is it impossible? And I'll ask you that. Why is it impossible? Repentance speaks of a change of mind. When you repent, it's not just doing it another way, but it starts with a change of mind. You change your mind on a certain situation. You repent of that. What is impossible? Well, it's impossible to change their mind while they are deliberately, willfully living that way. Why? Why? Because of their current deliberate rejection of the one and only way. And I want you to consider that for a moment. Dear people, there is only one way to be saved from your sins. There is only one way, and and when you reject that one and only way, when that is your attitude of life, that I reject that, it is impossible for you to be saved while you are in that way of life. Think about it in, in this way. Think of a drowning man out in the middle of a pond, lake, ocean, wherever. He is all alone, and he is clinging to a piece of driftwood, Clinging for his life. But if he were to say, oh, fooey with that, fooey with that piece of driftwood, (laughs) it would be impossible for him to be saved. You understand what I'm saying? Or think of a person who is sick, and there is one medicine that can bring healing, and he says, you know what? I don't care for that kind of medicine. I'd rather have something else. You see, it is impossible for him to become healed, rejecting that one and only cure. For it is impossible for those who experienced the power of God, who knows what it means to experience salvation, who have tasted of that good word, they know what's right. It is impossible for them, after having fallen away, to be renewed to repentance as long as that is their current way of life, as long as they willfully persist in rejecting it. We move on then to the illustration that the Hebrews writer gives. He illustrates this this way. Verse 7 is a picture of blessing. And it points back to the group in verses 1 through 3. The group in 1 through 3, they're the ones that are moving on. Come on, let's move on to perfection. Let's do it. Let's keep digging deeper, okay? That's the group. And verse verse 7 speaks of them. It says, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meat for them by whom it is dressed, receives blessing from God. Okay, now think, of, think of, of the rain here being the truth of God's Word Okay. in our spiritual life. And it's saying the person who sees and takes and hears the Word of God, and, and they say, I need that. Oh, yes. And they put it to place in their life. They put it to practice. It says that kind of a person... Receives the blessing that God intended. Okay? They receive the blessing. But look at the opposite in verse 8. This here speaks of cursing, and this is pointing back to the group in verses 4 through 6. The group who has gone back, they have fallen away. It says, But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end is to be burned. Verse 9, we have the conclusion or the assessment of this. And the writer here is saying that, you know, dear people, even though I am speaking to you like this, even though I am sounding sort of harsh, I trust and actually I'm confident that this is not happening with you. This is not happening with you. That was his conclusion. Now, does that mean that the warning does not apply to us? Absolutely not. We need this warning. We need to be sharpened. We need to renew our resolve. We need to wake up and take notice. We need to to be vigilant in our Christian life. But as he was writing, he's saying, Dear people, I'm persuaded of better things. This is the, the book of better things, is it not? Hebrews. And he's saying, I'm persuaded of better things of you. Things that accompany salvation even though we speak this way. And then I want us to note the application here in verses 10 through 12. And this passage ends with the same thrust that it began with. And that is, keep growing in spiritual maturity. Keep growing. Don't settle for for where you began. Don't say, oh, I'm saved now. Everything's good. I've made that confession of faith. Don't just be okay with that, but keep digging deeper. Keep moving on. And so here in the last few verses, we have the same. Verse 11. We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Don't be slothful. Don't be lazy in your Christian life. But be followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. And that speaks of endurance. I want you to be followers of those who inherited the promises that God gave them by enduring, okay? They endured and received that as their reward. Spiritual growth is the surest way to prevent falling away. Spiritual growth is the surest way to prevent falling away. Now, I want us to think for just a moment we talked about Abraham a bit in our, in our Sunday school lesson this morning. Abraham was a man of faith. But the story of Abraham is an analogy of our Christian journey today. Now God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, And we can look at that as that was his old life. God called him out of that. And, and God said, Abraham, I've got a promise for you. And Abraham went in faith. The Bible says that Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he believed God by faith and he got out of there and he started journeying. Now, along that journey of life, do you think Abraham had the choice to turn around and go back to Ur of the Chaldees? You know, that was, that was a comfortable place. That was a great place. That was a very prosperous place. Yes, he could have turned around. He could have went back to what was familiar. He could have went back to what felt good. He could have went back to what seemed to be the safe place to be. He could have. But he didn't. He kept journeying on. He kept journeying on. And yes, he slipped along the way. He sinned different times along the way. But he didn't turn around and go back. He kept journeying on. And through his journey onward as he pursued, as he was diligent, as he kept walking by faith, he claimed his reward. I say that little story is just simply an analogy of our Christian journey today. We keep pressing on. It is absolutely crucial this thing of diligence is absolutely crucial to gaining the promise, receiving the reward that God has for us in life. Now, as I have studied the Bible and as I have pondered my own personal life and as I have observed the experiences of others, I have come to firmly believe that first of all, true Christians can fall away. And secondly, a lifestyle of diligence is necessary to receiving your reward. And so, I would like to to expose uh, this erroneous belief of eternal security in the following ways. And this is not exhaustive at all, but it's just some things that the Spirit has brought to me. One is, by another passage here in... Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. And, and, and there's, there's plenty of places in Hebrews that speaks of this as well. But Hebrews chapter 10 gives commentary and gives validity to this. So that's one. Another place is, uh, I would like to expose this, this false belief with the words of Jesus. Another is uh, with the testimony of our conscience. Another is uh, with the confession of one of their own. Speaking of those in the Calvinistic camp, if you want to put it that way. And then lastly, with the words of the Apostle Peter. And So we have a little ground to cover, but we won't um, make a whole lot of comment. But I would like to share a few of these things. Now, as I have spent time studying the book of Hebrews... I have been reminded once again that there are some huge doctrinal differences that separate us from the mainstream evangelical teachings. And dear people, we must keep this in focus. We are not as one with them as we may think sometimes. Okay. In a day when when, um, study helps are very easy to access, I warn you to be careful. We are not as as close to them as we may think. Now, just in in my recent studies, I have noticed uh, the teaching of three highly acclaimed uh, teachers, preachers, writers uh, within the mainstream evangelical circle. I I have noticed three of them in their teaching. Two of them make it loud and clear that... Your salvation cannot be lost regardless. And I could share their names. You would recognize their names. I will not. But two of them make it very loud and clear that you cannot lose your salvation. The third one I will simply quote. And and this was some writing, um, some some rather recent writing, um, speaking specifically of the book of Hebrews. But this is what he says. While there is some stern language in some of these passages, it is my understanding that none of these exhortations threatens the reader by suggesting that he may lose his salvation. If he persists in defying God's word, he may lose his life. Okay. That's a little difficult to understand completely, but moving on to another one, he says, Believers who doubt God's Word and rebel against Him do not miss heaven, but they do miss out on the blessings of their inheritance today, and they must suffer the chastening hand of God. You understand what I'm saying. They, they take the Word of God and, and they muddy it. And all of a sudden you start pondering. You know, so so for, the, for the young reader, or for the young Christian, or for those who are not very discerning, they read that and they're like, well, cool, that sounds pretty nice. I mean, yeah, you know, why not? But dear people, that way of thought is not consistent with the tenor of Scripture. Nor is it consistent with just simply the reality of our human nature. Uh, one of the things that I have to ask is, is what benefit does such a belief have to them? How does this kind of belief encourage their following to grow in Christ's likeness? And for what purpose do they really believe this? Uh, We can certainly see the effect that it has had on their following. It's it's such that the doctrine of pure and holy living uh, has largely been lost or, or perhaps been thrown away. Because you see... It's not necessary. It's really not necessary. Well, let's consider a few of these things. Uh, Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. And I want to look here at a passage that somewhat parallels Hebrews 6. But starting at verse 26 of Hebrews 10, we read this. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. And there that, that phrase, for if we sin willfully. Once again, the wording there in the Greek speaks of an ongoing, continual process. That is now the way of life, okay? For if we sin willfully, after we have received the, the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorer punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. For we know Him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth to me, I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Now as I read this passage, it becomes obvious to me that it's speaking of people who had experienced the truth. They had experienced the power of God. In fact, it says there in verse in verse uh, 29, it says who hath trodden under the, the who hath trodden underfoot the son of God and counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified. Okay? It speaks of an of an action that had taken place. But now they are rejecting that. They are now living a life of willful disobedience rejection. And the writer says here, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins for such an one. And we could move on and finish out that. I won't. You can look at that later. But he brings it brings it out very clearly that that the way the way to fight against this Is to live a life of diligence, is to live a life that is enduring, that is looking forward to that reward. In fact, it says in verse 36, for ye have need of patience or for ye have need of endurance, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise after ye have done the will of God you might receive the promise. What, what, is, what is the promise that it's talking about? Well, back in chapter 9, verse 15, it speaks there about receiving the promise of eternal inheritance. And dear people, I believe that speaks of not only the blessings in life that God gives us today, but also that one that is coming. The one of heaven. Eternal inheritance. After you have done the will of God, He might receive the promise. Now, turn to Luke chapter 21 and note the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 21. And here's a parallel passage um, to Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, we read these words. And Jesus is talking here to His disciples. He's speaking of the last days. Okay, Speaking to His disciples. You could say a group of believers. But He says, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. Well, you could say, well, maybe that's talking about just having uh, loving relationships in your home. You know that in the end times people will start loving each other. Well, Well, maybe they will because that's part of your love for God. But that's not the thrust here. This is a spiritual context. Speaking of our spiritual lives. How that in the last days, there's going to be a decline in spirituality. And he says that the love of many shall wax cold, but those who endure to the end shall be saved. Now, In Luke's gospel, chapter 21, verse 19, we read this rendition. It says, in your patience, possess ye your souls. And I believe that gives some commentary that helps clarify, perhaps. Another translation would say it this way. By standing firm, you will gain life. Okay. by standing firm, that speaks of endurance. Once again, that patience thing by enduring, by standing firm, you will gain life. Now, move to the end there of chapter 21, the end of this passage. And Jesus uh, speaks these words in verses 34 through 36. He says, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting or, or, or weary or weighed down, and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. For for as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the the Son of Man. So speaking to the disciples, speaking to a group of believers, you could say, Jesus is saying, you need to take heed. You need to take heed. He... He implies that there are things that can come into our life that can dull us, that can take away our our focus for the eternal so that when Christ returns, we won't be ready. We won't be watching. We won't be waiting. We won't be prepared. He says, watch, therefore, pray always so that you may be accounted worthy. And once again, there is so much that could be covered in these. I'm just, simply, I'm just simply scratching the surface, as it were, on some of this. Let's think a moment about the testimony of our conscience and how that in itself can expose the fallacy of eternal security in, in that Calvinistic way of thinking. But the testimony of our conscience. A couple times a year, we ask in a very formal kind of way, Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? Uh, Why do we we ask that? And I trust that you're asking yourself that a whole lot more than just twice a year. But do you have peace with God? See, the the truth is that question is an indicator of our spiritual health. It's an indicator of our spiritual health. Do Do you believe that people who do not have peace with God, who are not in harmony with God, do you believe Jesus will say to them one day, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What do you think his response will be for those who are not living their life in harmony with the teachings of Jesus? Will he say, Well, I, this is the way I intended you to, to, for you to live and, and you sort of came halfway. I wish you would have come further, but good job. Come on in. It doesn't seem to be consistent with the Bible that I read. doesn't seem to be consistent with God is, what God is calling for through the, through the truth of Scripture. But I say the testimony of our conscience. And the reason I, I say this is because... Here, just in the recent past, I met one evening with a young man who was struggling severely in his Christian life. A young man who had, who had come to the Lord some years ago and had had an experience with the Lord, one that was authentic, and he felt that it in his life. And in the last number of years, it has changed, changed very much and he was looking for help and didn't know how to find help and I met with him one night and as we went through the evening and through the course of the conversation I asked him at some point I said brother I said I said if if your life would be required of you tonight do you know where you would be do you know where you would be and he said yeah yeah I said where he said, "I'd be in hell. I'd be in hell." But you can say, wait, "Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He had confessed Jesus Christ as Lord years ago. He had done that. Don't you think? Don't you think God knows that? Don't you think God would make some allowance?" He knew. He knew where he was. He knew that he once was right with God and he knew now that he was not right with God. He knew that he wouldn't be going to the place that God promises to believers. And you know in your own life, you know in your own life, And and I can feel it in my own life, even though I have a sincere desire to walk with the Lord, and I'm committed to going all the way, yet I know in my own life that I could fall away. Because because my flesh has a bent to sin. I'm saying just simply being honest in noting the reality of our sinful nature helps us to understand the truth in these situations. We are prone to wonder, as the song says. Lord, we feel it. We are. And therefore, the diligence is necessary. And so I say even just the testimony of our conscience helps expose the fallacy of once saved, always saved. You're good to go. Hey, not so quick. Not so quick. Be honest with yourself. Where are you? Do you have that peace? Are you in harmony with God's will for your life? And then another I'll mention here is that is a confession of one of their own. And I mentioned this, uh, I mentioned this situation very briefly back several weeks ago when I was preaching about drift. But I'll, I'll mention just a bit more here. And, and that is uh, this thing of, of uh, Joshua Harris. Um, recently the evangelical world was shocked by the news that best-selling author and pastor Joshua Harris uh, not only kissed his wife and family goodbye his wife of 20 years and three little children but then what was even more shocking or perhaps not at that point was was that he said goodbye to his faith as well And, and I'll have to confess that rattled me I was absolutely shocked I have read a good bit of his writings. Um, and, and, and my reaction was, this is almost impossible. I mean, really? Uh, and, and I remember saying to my wife when I read that, I said, honey, we are living in the last days. This is proof that we are living in the last days. The Bible talks about this. The Bible says this is going to happen. But you see... There have been those who have now written in response to his confession, uh, there have been those who have written, oh, okay, so, so Joshua Harris wasn't really a Christian to start with. You see, they're trying to cover themselves. He wasn't really a Christian. Anyway, that's not what he said. And I would just like to read briefly what he said about his condition. And this was, this was what he said. He said, the information that was left out of our earlier announcement, and that was uh, the divorce from his wife, the information that was left out of our earlier announcement is that I have undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there's a different way to practice faith and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. I find that to be very revealing. As you consider this thing of eternal security and the group that is saying, oh, once saved, always saved. You can't lose your salvation. And here's a man who... who, if he shot it about as straight as you could shoot it. I've read a number of his books. A man who had a true following. A man who was, who was living according to truth as far as I could tell and was teaching and preaching truth. Somewhat different than us, I understand. But a man who was striving for truth and had a heartbeat for that. And now he's saying, I have fallen away. I'm not there. I say the confession of of their own helps to expose the fallacy of those beliefs. And then I would like to end with the words of the Apostle Peter. Turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1. Starting in verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay, so speaking of people who have come out of that. In, in, In fact, he is speaking here to believers, to those who have obtained a like precious faith. Okay, so he's saying these are people who have come out of their worldly ways. They've put that away. Verse 5, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." But he that lacketh these things is blind, and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Moving on. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly, into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the promise. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. And these things are the things that must accompany your salvation. As the Hebrews writer was talking about. The things that, yes, you've been saved. Now move on. (laughs) Grow. Grow up. In your Christian faith. And he lists what those things are. Add, 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 add. He doesn't subtract any. Add, add, add. It's it's a picture of spiritual maturity, of growing in the likeness of Christ. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Now lastly, turn to the last chapter, chapter 3, verse 14. And in this chapter, it is referring to those who are scoffing scoffing at the promise of God. Ha ha, yeah, God said it's going to happen, but it's been years. He doesn't know what he's talking about. It's It's that kind of attitude. And the Apostle Peter paints a case that is very convincing and according to truth. And then we move down to verse 14. and We read this. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look... For such things be diligent, that ye, that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. And account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved Paul also according to the wisdom given unto him hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking of them of things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable, they rest Or they distort. Hmm. That sounds sort of like what we're talking about. As they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Verse 17, ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the air of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Dear people, let us believe the truth. Let us be very cautious of the common teachings that are prevailing our culture today. You know, warnings in a sense, are not meant to scare us, especially in our Christian lives. They ought not. But they are meant to strengthen us. To strengthen us. And that's my intent this morning. That as we look at the Scripture, you ought not be scared. Now, if you are not living right, you ought to take heed, and you ought to be fearful. Yes. But dear people, I am persuaded of better things of you, okay? Just as the Hebrew writer said, And so these warnings are meant to strengthen you, to renew your resolve, to say, I am going to press on the upward way. I'm going to keep going and I'm going to live my life with diligence because Christ is coming back one day for a church that is without spot and blameless. And that doesn't happen by neglect. That happens with intent. May God help us to that end. We'll call for a closing song.